0: If you followed the story surrounding Britney Spears, you're familiar with some of the restrictions that guardianship places over individuals. From my limited understanding, these restrictions can vary, but one thing is common. A lack of agency. Brian has advocated in the past for all of us to be our own advocate. But what do we do when being our own advocate requires a lot more than just speaking up?
1: Maintaining a work-life balance keeps getting harder, but it doesn't have to. This is The Big Balance, a podcast for anyone struggling to stay ahead or even just keep up with work, life, and everything in between. Join us each week for practical advice you can actually apply to get a little sanity back in your day.
0: Today's episode may be a little bit heavier than usual and may feature some sensitive subjects for some folks, so as a bit of a disclaimer, we will be touching on sensitive topics today. That's all to say, if at any point during this discussion I misrepresent certain individuals or fail to fully capture the nuance surrounding those topics, please know that's not my intent. Um, Today's episode comes from an article uh, from NPR. We'll link it in the description if you're interested in reading the article yourself. Brian, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right. Uh, sorry to kind of have a, a heavier topic today.
1: No, sometimes it's good to do things that are a bit serious, and the world is a serious place, and heavy things happen, so here we are. Yeah. Anything serious going on in your life? Not seriously cold. If yeah, you're talking no. about the weather is, is something that our show has reduced itself to that's that's
0: kind of the rules of business right that you have like you talk about the weather you have like five minutes of pleasantries before you get to business right so weather engage i think most of the american public was at some point in time familiar with the pop star britney spears whether it be her music or her recent battle with conservatorship she has made headlines and continues to do so But that's not precisely what I want to discuss, and while Britney's struggles and battle were well-documented, others aren't afforded the luxury of a large sphere of influence. Estimates suggest that close to 1.3 million people in the United States live under guardianship, or conservatorship, as they call it in certain states. And the majority of them have some serious injuries, physical or mental impairments, or struggle with severe mental illness, or just happen to be elderly. Nick Klaus fell into the first category. After his accident, his parents filed for guardianship over him and was granted by an Indiana judge shortly thereafter. Nick's story is one of many, so let's examine and explore what the world many like Nick live in. Nick Klaus was 18 years old when, driving front seat in his friend's Camaro, he was forcibly ejected from the car at a high rate of speed. He was left with a traumatic brain injury, one that even inhibited his ability to recognize his own family. Ten years later, he began a new fight, one that would grant him a sense of freedom, something he hadn't experienced since that fateful day that left him with lasting trauma. Nick's story, fortunately, is one of change and hope for advocates of reform. I want to call this out up front because I think it's important to know that while today's episode may be a little narrative-driven, it won't be for the sake of suspense. Although Nick's story, as we'll soon learn, ends on a happy note, many others aren't as fortunate. There's a common theme across the happy and the not-so-happy stories, though. Restrictive decision-making for everyone involved. Brian, we've called this a lack of agency, independence, freedom, whatever we call it. It's something I've never experienced in my adult life. So for once, we won't be able to actually provide anecdotal evidence, right?
1: Uh, I can provide the, uh, the anecdotal evidence of me as a elementary school student. Would you care to elaborate? Yeah, there's a term that exists today. I don't know if it was a thing when I was growing up, but I'm pretty sure I would have been diagnosed with it. It's called oppositional defiant disorder. And essentially, it's where kids just don't want to listen to grown-ups. And I definitely had that as an issue. And my, I think my daughter has that as an issue, too. But one example my mother always likes to tell everybody about when she meets them and introduces me to them when I was growing up, you had to do a physical exam as you were going into elementary school. And you had to do, like, jumping jacks and run and do all sorts of different things, and one of them was skipping.
0: Was this just to get into elementary school, you're saying?
1: Yeah, this was a this was at least in New York State in the 80s uh, or early 90s. This was a thing. Um, Interesting, because I I remember doing things like that in elementary
0: school, but never like oh you have to pass this to get into first grade. But maybe oh, it just yeah. it's
1: been so long. Yeah. Well, my school called my mother at home one day as I was doing this testing and said we think there's a problem with your son. She said, "What are you talking about? We think he might have some physiological development issues." She's like, "What? Oh, what cool. happened during this testing?" It's like he can't skip, and mother says, "Oh." He can't skip or he won't skip. He's like, Well, he says he was not going to skip. He's like, He's fine. Pass him. Because I just, I <laughs> thought skipping was stupid and I wasn't going to do it and I didn't do it. And that was pretty much how school started for me. Actually, the two other things. One, I don't think I did a single day of recess the entire third grade because I kept getting in trouble for one thing or the other. And wow. yeah. And Dude, my defiant. Yeah. And my favorite ever report card comment was uh brian is counterproductive i went to my teacher i said what does counterproductive mean here i was in fourth grade i didn't really have context for things and she says well brian not only do you refuse to learn in class you actively stop other kids from learning around you like okay that's (laughs) that's fair you know what? That sounds like traits of like a future politician, almost. <laughs> yeah. So, long story short, uh, definitely nothing to the degree of conservatorship, but I definitely did rail against anybody making decisions for me as a kid. Was not a fan of being told what to do. And for all of that, this this topic for me is terrifying. So interesting pick on your part, and I'm excited for today's conversation.
0: Yeah, well, it's it, it's interesting because the stories you share are very much. Uh, there's a at least a resolution for for the story about your 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 skipping there but the reason i wanted to talk about this is because this is something i've never really considered and even during you know Britney Spears's highly publicized battle to remove her guardianship There's a whole group of people, a large group of people, who I never considered even when arguably one of the most high-profile cases was happening right in front of me. And it kind of made me reconsider my worldview a little bit. And something I think that we should do pretty often, you know, individually, we should all reconsider our worldview and reevaluate simple tasks in our our day-to-day. And I think that's kind of why I wanted to talk about
1: Nick's story a little bit. So, yeah. That's one of the terrifying things about this is look what it took to put this in the public eye. Britney Spears' giant sensation, giant force in the music industry, whether or not you like her music, that's completely aside the point. Everybody knows the name. Everybody knows who she is. It took that level of persona, that level of presence to shine a light on this. And it's still not really that understood of an issue. Reading through this and and kind of hearing these
0: stories, it taught me that, I don't know, you know, diddly squat about really any of this. And it's something that we all seem to have had some type of opinion on when Britney Spears was going through that. But getting back to Nick, after his accident, he slowly gained back, quote, normalcy in his day to day. He didn't require as much guidance and supervision throughout his day. And he started working as a welder, which, as anyone who has probably ever worked in that field, can probably attest, uh, That looks like a pretty difficult job. And yet this man who's under guardianship of his parents was capable of working something that appears to me it's not a fit for everybody. Something that not everybody's capable of doing. But all while he was, by definition of the law, required his parents' approval to do anything, really, to make decisions, like date someone. He ended up meeting his future wife while he was under conservatorship. And this is what struck me the most. He cherished the smallest act of being able to take his family out to dinner and say he could splurge a little bit while he was doing that, something that I think I take for granted pretty often, the simple act of
1: buying that dessert at the end of a meal or something like that. I'm sorry. I got to back up. I got to back up for a second. How awkward was that first date, though? Like you meet somebody, you click, and they say, hey, you want to go on a date? Well, I got to ask my mom first. That's weird. How did that even start?
0: And that's and I think that's a you know not to make light of it, but the conservatorship surrounding this because he suffered that traumatic brain injury, it, it suddenly the perception is, is that he's not capable of making decisions even like that to so whereas the goal is to protect these people. But really, at the end of the day, it's super restrictive and probably preventing them from making huge leaps in their development, especially for somebody with a brain injury social interaction is probably a huge benefit to him and working as a welder and getting that stimulation probably helped his development. I I would have to imagine not a neuroscientist. So can't say for certain. Well, in recent years, we've actually seen some alternatives to uh, their traditional guardianship like Nick's, but many attorneys and judges are kind of just pushing through the traditional conservatorship of old um, as If they're on like autopilot or something like that. So many are unaware that alternatives even exist. I'm talking the general public, but also some other attorneys as well who haven't maybe been as experienced or haven't really dug as deep into that. So after the break, let's talk about an example of an alternative and the implications of being uninformed, not just here, but in our day to day as well. After telling us a little bit more about Nick, um, he actually went on to testify in front of the Senate. Um, I'm not anywhere close to doing his full story justice, so I do recommend you check out the full article. But after we learned about Nick, the article introduced us to Jamie Beck. She was actually the first person to transition from that more traditional guardianship uh, that we saw folks like Nick living under into what is called a supported decision-making arrangement. So instead of full ownership over all of her decision-making like we saw with Nick— Uh, A supported decision making arrangement allowed Jamie to live a little bit more independently while a support team is available to her uh, to
1: consult for large decisions in her life. So we're talking about Nick at a high level, but I do want to go and look at some of the testimony that he gave just because I think it's kind of telling and it gets into one of the big issues among many, I guess, that I have here. So I'm just going to read a really quick part of this transcript of, of what he said. Uh, to Congress. Was it Congress even? I don't even know. It, it was Senate, Senate,
0: and at least you can do him the justice of of telling a little bit more of a complete story
1: than, than yeah. my completely abridged version, so yes, please do. Well, I think your abridged version is, is good. It kind of gets at the, the core of this. Guy had a traumatic brain injury, and I'm sure, yeah, for a portion of his life, he definitely did need his parents to kind of take the reins of a decision-making process for him, but I want to pick up in his testimony where he meets his wife, right? So, quoting directly, In September of 2014, I was blessed to meet Chelsea, the woman who would eventually become my wife and mother of my child. The symptoms of the traumatic brain injury, TBI, had improved quite a bit by that point, but rather than looking towards a limitless horizon like most 21-year-olds, my vision of the future was clouded by constantly being told what I could not do because of the TBI. Now, that in and of itself, I think, really feels like it it should have been the turning point for a lot of people, right? Is his parents included. I don't want to say that there were nefarious purposes either, John. I don't I just like you, but as I'm, let, let's put aside that moment in history, let's talk about his retelling of it. Even the way he worded that was clear, concise. He, he probably said that better than I could ever put anything into words personally. You hear me rambling right For now. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about some, I don't know, rules of engagement, rules of thumb when it comes to when a conservatorship is or isn't valid, right? And I got to say he already passed one by having to your point a job that required exceptional skill, it's a craft, uh, as well as very strong focus in the face of a potentially dangerous uh, job, right? Welding, it's it's not it's not easy. So that alone is an indicator to me that he has a sound mind to at least a degree and the the clarity and cohesiveness of this testimony he gave, how is it Possible that you can look at those things and say, this guy clearly can't make his own decisions, right? You
0: said something specific that I, I, I want to touch on. Of sound mind, you know, it, it sounds like a legal term, but I think that's a, a good way to put it because he's capable of doing things beyond just simple tasks like taking care of himself, making a sandwich, you know, pouring himself a glass of, of water or anything like that. I bet he even has this mental sanity to say water instead of water. <laughs> right? but the idea is he's capable of making human connections without having somebody hold his hand. So without being too insensitive to people who struggle to make those human connections, it seems like that's another check off the box there that he's capable of living under clearly a different arrangement and in in his case, it ultimately was being his own agent, being you know of his full own agency there, right to use that word again.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree. It's it's. Look, I know that we're a thirty minute show that barely scratches the surface of a lot of topics, and I know there's complexity here, but it's it just seems so strange to me.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think it's worth you know maybe doing a a slight disclaimer here that. You, you touched on it a little bit, but the idea that there's definitely people who need that added support, but folks like Nick and folks like Jamie, who you know I, I slightly mentioned, but we're going to learn a little bit more about her, they don't need this added layer of, we'll call it protection, but really what it is is restrictive uh, ability to make decisions for themselves. Like I mentioned before the break, there's still a large number of people who are unaware of this alternative that Jamie gets. So Jamie's story, and again, completely abridged, but they were somebody who, so I think it was at 18, she was placed under guardianship, and she's been stuck in this same cycle for the last 10 years or something like that. Um, She's proven that she can live on her own. She's proven that she can hold down a job. She can be financially stable and independent. And it was actually, I think, her caseworkers or uh, somebody like that who brought up this alternative to her, and she actually became one of the first people to transition to this guided decision support, Um, and I think I butchered that at the end, but this new alternative to the traditional conservatorship that we've seen before. And, And I think another disheartening angle to this, Brian, is once you're in that disadvantage or disadvantageous position it's significantly more difficult to change those circumstances in your favor so we're talking about people who were at a disadvantage and who had to fight and advocate for themselves but there's people who don't have the money to get a lawyer to help them or people who are looking out for their well-being so much that they'll recommend this new decision-making support uh model that they didn't have before so what do we do when we don't have those headed, you know, you know, bonuses, I guess, of having those people, you know, the support they had? I don't have an answer there,
1: but that's just, uh, you know, it's it's
0: disheartening is what it is to
1: me. Well, I, I think to, to dig into one, one quick point there, another terrifying thing, and this is the subject of many horror movies and what, season two of American Horror Story but the, the whole idea, let's talk about the idea of uh, uh, involuntary psych hold, right? So if you go to a psychiatrist and you say, hey, I'm thinking of killing myself, they can put you in a involuntary psych hold for, I forget, is it 48 or 36 hours? I, I, I don't remember how many exactly. Maybe it's you know two to three days, let's just say, to make sure you mentally check out. And during that time, that agency is gone as well, and then you have the whole uh, horror story scenario of what if they don't let you leave, and how do you prove you're not crazy if people think you're crazy because you say you're not crazy, right? The whole uh, th- yeah. the kind of catch twenty two, right? Like oh, you're you're only saying you're crazy so you can get out of flying, but that proves that you're not crazy because you want to get out of flying. You know, it's it's crazy. It's it's this weird prison that you're, in. it's not even a real prison, but these people that we're talking about are in this weird prison situation that the system makes yeah. very hard to get out of it's it's
0: it's a holding pattern and and there's two things there as far as uh another pop culture reference to your point about the horror story it, it's i think of one flew over the cuckoo's nest and and jack nicholson's character in the sense to where uh he clearly doesn't feel like he belongs there but they've made the decision that he is committed there, and he is involuntarily committed. So the the struggle to get out, I mean, in that case, it's a work of fiction, but it, you needed to escape in that scenario. But I think you, you, you nailed it with the Catch-22 bit because these people who were under this conservatorship don't have the ability to really make decisions about their own money. They have to get permission to do things. But to get out of the position that they're in, the conservatorship, you need a lawyer, you need money to get out of it. So it's exactly it. You're stuck between a rock and a hard place. It's, it's a holding pattern that you can't get out of. And the system just creates this cycle that folks are probably stuck in for longer than the ten year examples that we're providing here for everyone. Right.
1: Actually, you know what? You know what it is that that I, I can put my finger on it? Something that just felt so weird about it at a very base level to me that kicking around in my head. So the the entire idea of our justice system is innocent until proven guilty. But everything, John, that you're talking about is not guilt, certainly, but there's a presumption that you're not fit until proven fit. And it just sounds like such the opposite of at least the legal system we're also accustomed with and that I think we have ingrained in the way we think about things, right? You You got to faith until proven otherwise, but that's not the case here.
0: Yeah. And if this is starting to sound a little political, I promise that's not my intent. Um, But I think there's there's definitely power in knowledge, knowing your rights, whatever cliche we can think of. But for these folks who are in these positions, it. Might not matter even if you're aware of it. So, I mentioned before the break the implications of being uninformed. Well, what do we do even when we are informed and there's nothing we can do to get out of it? And if this isn't in poor taste, I think we can kind of apply this school of thought to pretty much any one of us, if not to the extremes that we're seeing with these examples. But what I mean is, once we're at a disadvantage, you have to work even harder to get yourself back onto a level playing field. So for the few of us who come out on top, there's probably millions, thousands, whatever, who don't and have to crawl to struggle just to get back, you know, head above water, you know, the cliche, whatever you want to call it, you know, but just get that even keel, that level playing field. And it's like I said earlier, it's disheartening. And I don't know if I have a resolution for this episode. So I apologize again if this is a downer, but I just thought that this was such an Interesting topic that made me reevaluate simple tasks that I do day in and day
1: out, and really perspective is everything. I do have one solution, actually. Sure. Wear yeah, your seat no, belts when you're in a car. Wear a seatbelt. Have active airbags. There's a you know, like let's avoid the accidents yeah. that cause TBIs to begin with. Wear a football helmet when you're playing football or play badminton. It's a lot safer. And that's probably a whole other rabbit hole we can go down
0: as far as, you know, TBIs and and football and, and long lasting chronic uh, exposure to, you know, concussions and things like that. But I think that's even a rabbit hole we could go down. But the sense being that if you continually lose your facilities, you're losing your agency over yourself. And, and to your point, Brian, not to be. You know, I guess fatalists are cynical about it, but yeah, wear seatbelts, protect yourself and be your own advocate and don't put ourselves in those situation in the first place. Not that Nick's story isn't really a story of, you know, optimism at the end of the day, but yeah, I hear
1: you. Well, that, that is also, and the, the whole thing is just a bit grotesque to me, but Britney Spears going into football stars who suffer TBIs for the sport they play that we all enjoy. The other end of this, too, is it's it's not even that these people end up losing the agency that every human being at least should enjoy. It's that we've somewhat dehumanized them to begin with because we view them as forms of entertainment much more than people. If anybody listened to the episode, I might have been actually even the last episode, that me and Andy did, or Andy and I did, the idea that we look at Andy Reid who was a football coach, had a lot of personal life problems. We didn't really care about that as much as we cared about him winning games for us when, when he was in Philadelphia. It's not recognizing or respecting the humanity of the people that are involved. And it just spirals afterwards with these TBIs or, you know, in Britney Spears' case, what she went through as well. It's, Yeah. So one thing I do want to do is kind of look at the other side of this as well and and play the devil's advocate, even though I really don't feel like it, right? I'm I'm a a red-blooded, God-fearing American, and I love my freedom. But at the same time, there is a value to this concept of conservatorships, right? So I do want to talk about the other side of this. So first and foremost, I think if we were to go back and look at more than just the anecdote you know britney spears high profile this guy after testifying in front of the senate high profile but they're two people that might not really represent the core of people who need these conservatorships and john you did talk about this a little bit as well Um, i think the bulk of people in conservatorships are usually uh, later in years, uh, don't have their mental facilities, not because of a breakdown, uh, an emotional breakdown like Brittany, not because of a TBI. Or a TBI yeah, right? It's, it's yep. degenerative, long-term, terminal, really, uh, circumstances. So I think in the the bulk of cases, it does make sense. No, I, I agree, and I think that it is, it's fair because
0: we really shouldn't, kind of gloss over that piece of it so i think it's a a fair point to make and a fair point to bring that up as far as the other side of it so yeah you're absolutely right and i don't want to be kind of making sweeping generalizations but yeah maybe the majority of the people in this position um or in conservatorships need it yeah
1: and there is one other element of this that i i i don't have a solve for uh, you know we'll let the eggheads in washington figure it out but Let's talk about this idea that it's so hard to get out of these conservatorships because that does sound terrifying. But I think there's a purpose there, too, insofar as, again, let's look at the most common case of a conservatorship. Let's look at somebody who hypothetically has dementia, isn't necessarily in their sound mind, but isn't in a vegetative state either. What would stop somebody in that position from claiming they don't need that conservatorship? and constantly challenging it over and over again. Well, if you're in the position of presiding over this as a judge, you almost have to take the position of siding with the conservator because otherwise it could be a a massive drain of time of resources and all for nothing because somebody could clearly still need that conservatorship. So I don't know. It's it's just sounds so hard because you'd rather have uh, one innocent man go free, right? But on the other side, I think like the majority of these cases it does make sense. So how do you how do you find a middle ground there to say let's root out who does and doesn't need this?
0: Well, I think one thing we might be missing in all of this is there's likely third parties involved in all of this, right? The the example that you gave about the dementia patient, there's probably a general practitioner or some type of doctor who's been looking over them and can testify to the fact that they have been degenerative and it has been just awful and it's been a long time coming and things like that. To whereas somebody with a TBI is probably on the other end to where we're seeing improvement. So maybe there's a responsibility on a doctor or some type of caseworker or somebody like that to really advocate for their patient, the same way a doctor takes a, a Hippocratic oath, right? Maybe there's some type of responsibility there for the people who are responsible for you know maintaining the conservatorship over these people.
1: That's a good point. And honestly, if it is true that the majority of these are older people and degenerative situations, if it is only a couple percent that are in the case that we're talking about today maybe it's those should be unique enough cases that they do warrant that extra attention. Sure. Yeah. And I guess maybe that begs the question,
0: why are we even talking about all of this? (laughs) Right, Brian? But I, I guess to, to my original point, um, you know, there's, there's something to be said about reconsidering your worldview and, and reconsidering the little things. So, uh, again, on my soapbox here, you know, just appreciate the little things and appreciate all that, we are able to do day in and day out that, you know, maybe sometimes we do take for granted. So, here's me saying, you know, uh, to all a good night, right? Is it a Christmas story, <laughs> Christmas carol? Yeah, I, I, I just kind of wanted something. Yeah, I wanted something that was like you work uh, on your sign off, you know. Yeah, no,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, that's how the cookie crumbles, whatever, We right? don't even have sign-offs. We just kind of fade out awkwardly while the music plays. So maybe we need to work on that.
0: <laughs> to where is, to where is, cue the sexy music now.
1: Yeah, yep. Andy, Andy has better call-outs than we do.
0: Because I, I don't know if I want to be the one to call it the porn music. You, you can't because you, know? you wrote it, so. Yeah, exactly. And, and believe me, the porn was not what I had in mind when I wrote it. So, here you go. This is all part of the fade out. Though.
1: Thanks for listening to the Big Balance Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and drop us a comment while you're there. Until next time.